You're listening to Halford and Bruff. It pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. Kevin Hayes had nothing to do with uh, the situation at hand. It's a complete crap. That's it for now. And uh, I'm freaking jacked. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down. What a freaking boost. Good morning, Vancouver. 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes of Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you. Hello, hello. Intern Sonia, good morning to you as well. Good morning. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech! Crazy times. The sports are going crazy right now, especially the coaching news down in not only the NFL, but just football in general in the United States. Yeah, this is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. It is a Canucks game day. We've got the Canucks and Penguins from PPG Paints tonight at 430. But um, we are going to spend a considerable amount of time talking about football because I don't think that there has ever been a 24-hour window in which the NFL has so profoundly changed as it has over the last 24-hour window. We will get to all of that in just a moment. I need to tell you about the guest list today. At 6.30, Sean Gentili from The Athletic in Pittsburgh is going to join us. We will preview tonight's Canucks-Penguins game. Uh, It has got a ton of storylines going into it. Never mind the on-ice product. You've got the off-ice stuff as well. The relationship between these two clubs. Maybe another future trade on the horizon. Who knows? We'll talk to Sean about all that at 6.30. Canucks-Penguins tonight from Pittsburgh. Uh, 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson from ESPN's NFL Nation. Our Seahawks insider normally goes on a Friday. We had to bump him up because we thought, thought the biggest coaching news of the day was going to be Pete Carroll out after 14 years and a Super Bowl in Seattle. He is no longer the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. It was not Pete's decision to leave either. We will talk to Brady about that. At 7 o'clock, 7.30, Barclay Parnetta is going to join the program. Uh, General manager of the WHL's Vancouver Giants, the WHL trade deadline was yesterday. They were busy. They were very busy. They were buying, they were selling, positioning themselves for a playoff run. So Barclay Parnetta is going to join us at 7.30. 8 o'clock, it's the Drancer, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Canucks Talk right here on Sportsnet 650. Uh, A reminder, we're giving away tickets to the 32 Thoughts live show. Thursday, January 18th, so a week today at Wicket Hall in Victoria. Uh, If you want to win, reminder, you have to be in the greater Victoria area and be able to go or be willing to make the trek over. The show starts at 2 o'clock. I repeat, 2 o'clock on Thursday. It's in the afternoon. If you want to go and you want to win tickets, uh, send to what we learned in, hashtag it WWL. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag WWL and a ticket emoji. That's key. 
you'll be entered into the grand prize contest. So, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, it's Drance. 7.30, Barclay Parnetta. 7 o'clock, Brady Henderson. 6.30, Sean Gentili. Uh, that is the show. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. After 24 seasons together, we have breaking news first thing in the morning, but you don't need to play the sounder. It is okay. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, everybody, have mutually agreed to part ways. That news came down about an hour ago. Courtesy a number of NFL insiders, including ESPN's Adam Schefter, after 24 seasons together, Belichick, who was the architect of the greatest dynasty in football history and maybe sports history, is now bidding farewell. And after 24 years and really a lifetime, all I remember about the New England Patriots is Bill Belichick. Uh, they will have a new head coach next year. Bill Belichick out after 24 years with the New England Patriots. You don't remember Tom Brady? As part of that? What's that? No, I just, you just kind of, you said, all I remember is Bill Belichick about the New England Patriots. Right. Yeah. Tom Brady was part of that team, too. He sure was. Yeah. Tom Brady is not leaving the New England Patriots this morning. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm a little confused by what you said there. Uh, Bill Belichick out. Uh, yesterday, the big news was that Pete Carroll was out, and Pete Carroll was the talk of the football world for like an hour. And then Nick Saban was like, oh, I'm retiring from Alabama. So everyone was talking about Nick Saban down in Alabama. So Nick Saban, uh, arguably the greatest college coach ever. He retires. Um, He retires. Um, There was no like mutual agreement. It was just like, I'm out. And then Bill Belichick today, arguably the greatest NFL head coach of all time. He's out as well. Maybe the greatest sports coach of all time, Bill Belichick, when you talk about his legacy and you talk about what he accomplished uh, in New England. Now, obviously, you mentioned the Tom Brady thing, and his legacy is always going to be tied to Tom Brady. And then really what happened after Tom Brady left, went to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won a Super Bowl there, and Belichick did not have the same level of success. But if you want to talk big picture about what's gone on over the last, as we mentioned, 24 hours, what a crazy sea change this has been. Now, Dog actually asked in a very adorable way prior to the show starting. Did like, the Patriots miss the playoffs? No, he asked. <laughs> Do NFL coaches last longer than other professional sports coaches? And they absolutely. Well, I noted, yeah, because 24 years for Belichick, 14 for. I'm used to the NHL where, like, you're a coach for five years. So it's like a veteran coach. Whoa, five <laughs> you know, you're there years. a long time. So, like, 24 years, 14 years. Like, that's a long time to be a coach. Right. And there's still a, a couple tenured coaches right now, including Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, who's in his 17th year. But this, they, don't, they don't fire coaches in Pittsburgh, though. They They've don't. Had, like, four forever. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, that's more to illustrative to your point is that there are certain organizations that pride themselves on having stability at that position. Yeah. And you look at, and I mean, it, it's very difficult to kind of comprehend that these two particular guys are out uh, in this such a short, short, short window, right? We're talking about really overnight, I'm busy pounding away notes, trying to get all that I can about the legacy of Pete Carroll in Seattle. And then this morning we wake up and, well, the one guy that really outshines everybody in the National Football League, Bill Belichick, is out. Now, this is not been What's made the of- most surprising of the three. 
It's not Belichick because everyone was talking about it. It's, it's probably, I mean, if you had probably to. Saban retiring? Yeah, because, a lot, you know, I was listening to um, the CBS Sports Talk Radio morning show coming in, and they had uh, one of the guys that wrote one of the Saban books come on and talk about his legacy and everything. Mm-hmm. And he said, honestly, I'm surprised to be doing this because he was still kind of at his peak. I mean, you talk about Carroll was basically the head of a 500 team in Seattle. Yeah. Belichick just had the worst season of his uh, New England coaching career, finishing with just the four wins. Nick Saban was an overtime away from going back to a national title game with Alabama. I don't listen to a lot of sports talk out of Tuscaloosa, so uh, I don't know how much you know speculation there was, but there was clearly a ton of speculation about Bill Belichick uh, leaving the Patriots. Um, and there was equally quite a lot, well, not, maybe not as equally, but there was quite a lot about Pete Carroll leaving the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I think... The thing in Seattle that changed things a little bit was we didn't really know uh, about the owner's preferences and we didn't really know um, how much Jody Allen was willing to go out on this limb and make a change Mm -hmm. Um, because the narrative after Paul Allen passed away was that Jody Allen was someone who was just like, you know, she, she trusted Pete Carroll. She and she trusted John Schneider, the people in charge, um, and it very much sounds like Pete Carroll didn't want to, you know, become, a, you know, be kicked up into whatever. Is it. What's his job now? He's, he's just, just, like, he's just like, an advisor. It's a very a front office advisor. It's, it's a very undefined. They asked him, "What does that entail?" He's like, "I don't, I don't know." So this wasn't his decision, and um, you know, in listening to Pete Carroll after. The season talk on Seattle Sports Radio. You know, I listened to a full interview with him uh, after the season, and he was asked about the team, and he said, you know, like, I think a lot of our mistakes uh, this year came down to youth. We were a young team. That'll be different next season. And he was excited about coaching. And, you know, when it came out that he was out as head coach, he said that he competed hard. He fought hard to remain as head coach, and now he's out. So... I'll be curious to learn about what the conversation, like how much we'll get out of, I don't know, between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, the owner there. Um, that one just seemed like it was almost definitely going to happen mm-hmm. in New England. Like there was going to be change. But I think in Seattle, there was this just like lack of knowledge in who was pulling the levers there. You so, know, yeah. Was, we all know, we, you know, in New England, we all know. Bob Kraft is in charge, right? He's a pretty prominent owner. He has a very public profile. Jody Allen in Seattle, not so. So the three coaching, if you want to really boil them down to their essence, Nick Saban's is a retirement. Bill Belichick's is a mutual parting of ways. At least that's how it's being framed by NFL insiders this morning. Pete Carroll's was a dismissal. And make no mistake about that. This was not Pete walking away. He still very much wanted to coach this football team. As Jason mentioned, something he repeatedly stated in the days following their season-ending win over Arizona. Uh, His quote yesterday was, I competed pretty hard to be the coach. I just went along with their intentions. Their intentions meeting John Schneider, who suddenly plays a very fascinating role in all of this. And, of course, Jody Allen, the owner of the team. So a lot of people are wondering what comes now. Pete is going to stay on as an advisor, but he made it really clear yesterday he's not going to be part of the head coaching search. That's going to be a John Schneider joint, 
And that's yeah. going to be his and his alone. There was a Pete, re- Pete Carroll be like, what about this guy, Pete Carroll? Yeah. It was like, do you know any job openings? Is well, there one in Seattle? Is it is it too easy or too simplistic to just be like, okay, Dan Quinn is going to take the job in Seattle and Mike Vrabel is going to take the job in New England? It feels too simple, but it also feels like what might end up happening. Mm. Dan I mean, Quinn, of course, has already had two stints. With the Seattle Seahawks, uh, I think he came in as a defensive line coach, uh, went uh, to the college game for a bit, and then returned as the defensive coordinator in Seattle for those Legion of Boom years. For that, he was rewarded with a head coaching job in Atlanta, where things went, I'd say, pretty well. In their second year, they went to the Super Bowl and had um, you know, a pa- very painful loss yeah, to don't the, New England, the, Super Bowl. the New Everything England Patriots. Uh, and Dan Quinn was like, I'm used to this. I'm used to this. Um, he was fired. After six seasons there, the Falcons, you know, they, I don't know, they just, they, were, they, was, they had a bit of like the, a bit of the Canucks, like they, they shone bright for a little while and then the shine was off and kind of everyone forgot about them. Uh, then he goes to Dallas and he becomes the defensive coordinator in Dallas and the Dallas Cowboys have a very good defense. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people just connecting the dots there. Uh, obviously there's a relationship between Dan Quinn and John Schneider. Uh, Dan Quinn, maybe to Seattle. He's a defensive guy. Um, they've got defensive problems to fix. Yeah, and I do want to spend a moment before we turn the page to the Vancouver Canucks because this is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650, but this also is your home of the Seattle Seahawks, Sportsnet 650. And from our perspective, both as fans and then as guys that broke into this industry, not really around the same time that Pete Carroll took over as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, and you in particular, Jason, being as big of a Seahawks fan that you are, and then the sad club commish angle, uh, Pete was the guy that delivered that first and only Super Bowl to the franchise that you followed yeah. through some pretty dark times. And if you look at if you look at the entirety of his career and his life's work in Seattle, it is hard to call it anything other than a smashing success. Oh, 100%. Dave Softy Mahler, who we've had on the show numerous times from KGR Sports Radio in Seattle, said that Pete Carroll is the greatest coach in the history of Seattle sports, professional or otherwise. He delivered the Super Bowl. He had so many winning seasons. The real crazy thing is that they didn't really have any really bad seasons under Pete Carroll. The worst was a seven-win season. Even these last two years, which were pretty mediocre at best, they were still nine and eight teams. Mm. Now, here's the thing about Pete Carroll's legacy, and a lot of people brought this up yesterday, is that you absolutely have to start with the winning and the divisional titles and the two NFC championships and the Super Bowl. But the other thing you have to talk about, first and foremost, fairly or unfairly, is the other Super Bowl. And the decision at the goal line against the New England Patriots, and it's weird how karma works out that him and Belichick leave their positions, but basically within 12 hours of one another. But Pete's legacy is also going to be defined by what happened in that for in that second Super Bowl. Fairly or unfairly, it is one of the most controversial calls, play calling wise, mm-hmm. in NFL history. It largely defined their legacy from him being a one Super Bowl guy to a quote unquote dynasty guy. It's not fair, it's not right, but it's also real, I think. Uh, and that play call has almost taken on a life of its own. Totally. It's got conspiracy theories, you know, the, it's like Pete, Pete never even called it, you know, that 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 sort of thing. Um, but overall, you know, Pete, Pete was 
Pete delivered the one Super Bowl that I really wanted. And I think a lot of Seahawks fans felt that way. It's why I even uh, though I went through a very nasty public sports divorce with Russell Wilson, I will still have something in my sports heart for Russell Wilson because he was part of that team that gave the championship. Like your first is always very different. Um, unfortunately for the Seahawks and I guess unfortunately for Pete's legacy or just the direction of the team, it was the very next year that that play happened. So we had like a year of joy and mm -hmm. then really – when you think about it, when you're talking about football wild, wide, um, that play against the Patriots was way bigger than the Seahawks winning their first Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah, it was big for Seattle to win the first Super Bowl. But that play, everyone knows that play, and the fact the Patriots were involved in it just kind of makes it 10 times bigger because of the legacy that they had as the team that, even though they did have some bad losses, it was kind of like the team that always won, right? Do, mm -hmm. do you know what I mean? And no, that was 100%. kind of, that, that was, that was, you know, look, look, the New England Patriots have delivered um, painful Super Bowl losses to a number of teams, the Seattle Seahawks. And as we mentioned, the Atlanta Falcons, like the Atlanta Falcons, that's Dan Quinn's legacy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 28 to three, you know, uh, 21 to three. And was it 28 to 3? 20, oh, yeah. 20, jeez. 28 to 3. 28 to 3. Uh, so, I'd only bring it up because they're probably going to hire Dan Quinn. And by the way, I'm not exactly enamored with the hire, but we can talk to Brady Henderson about that at 7 o'clock. Well, who do you want? Bill Belichick. I don't want Belichick. <laughs> Belichick's 71 it. years old. Yeah, I know. You know, Dan Quinn. You're younger than Pete. Dan Quinn's still in his 50s. And I, and I realize that, you know, there are people that still have energy. Pete still has energy. Um, well into their 70s. I mean, the president of the United States is, he's 140 years old. Yeah, so, and he's, he's still double Pete Carroll's so, age. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if Bill Belichick I was is joking. Gonna get, My pick would be no, Mike no, no, Grable. But do you think Belichick is going to get a job as a head coach again? It's, he's more likely than Pete, I think. Here's the thing. If Belichick wanted a head coaching job, he would have one in a nanosecond. There would be a team because there's seven openings Washington, right now. He goes to Washington maybe with the plan of I'll coach for three years and then I'll then I'll become yeah. you know some sort of advisor. Go to, to, to Los Angeles, there. coach the Chargers, nice and sunny and warm. No more Foxborough winters. Like That could be fun, right? Well, that'd but, be a good job for Pete maybe. Yeah, and that's the thing. is if you know, I do want to, before we move on here, so yesterday, amid all of the audio that was coming up from Pete Carroll, there was a clip that Adam Schefter threw up on Twitter, and he said, this sure does not sound like a guy who's done. And he, whether that means done coaching or done in the National Football League, done being around football, and it was a clip of Pete Carroll sort of saying goodbye to the media and opening up the question and answer period, but just talking about where he's at, where his energy level is at. Uh, can we play that now before we move on to the Canucks stuff? Uh, this is Pete Carroll yesterday sort of saying farewell, but only maybe to the Seattle Seahawks, not necessarily to coaching in the National Football League. That's it for now, and uh, I'm freaking jacked. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down. Uh, you, you guys tried your best. You didn't wear me out. I'm, you know, it's the end of the season. I'm supposed to be, you know, go lay on a cot somewhere. I ain't feeling like that. And, uh, um, you know, there's what's coming. I don't know. I got no idea, and I really don't care right now. But uh, I do, um, I'm excited about it because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to study. Uh, there's a, uh, there's some great discoveries that are going to come our way. What a freaking boost. <laughs> so at the end of the season, um, I lobbed the question of, will the Seahawks make significant change? And, um, you know, I, I wasn't including 
firing a defensive coordinator or like a coordinator change or, you know, even cutting Jamal Adams or even saying goodbye to Bobby Wagner. Um, there were two major areas that could be changes that, and that was the coaching. And I attached, I actually attached Pete and John together, which maybe I shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one was the quarterback position. We've still got to see about the quarterback position in the future of Geno Smith and what the Seahawks do in the NFL draft. But you were fairly, I don't want to say adamant, but you didn't think that there was going to be major change. You didn't think Pete was going to be I came be on out. the air and said yeah. that there was going to be. With Pete? Yep. That was, we had this conversation. Then you said, but in our text thread, you said you weren't. I said, yeah, but then I was listening to the audio and then I did a bunch of reading. Right, right, I, yeah. right, right, right. Okay, yeah. so so from our original text conversation, you didn't think that there was going to be major change. And a lot of people didn't. Yep. I wasn't sure. I'm not saying that. Like, I'm not, this isn't an I told you so. This is a question of what happened here. Yeah, I think what happened in the 24 to 48 hours after the season ending win, which is still a weird way to say it, over uh, Arizona, because it was really a loss on the day. After I started reading enough stuff from, like, again, sources and pundits that I kind of trust that are usually go to, there was a real sense of more disappointment than ever because of, one, the talent that they had and how badly they underachieved with that talent, but also a sense of Pete's biggest strength. Biggest strength as a head coach was his ability to motivate and to craft, especially young minds. That was a big thing about the Legion of Boom and all these young guys that he brought in with Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor especially. And he was able to hone what they had and be a leader and a vocal motivator. And it felt like all of that was gone. It felt like this team had taken on... A personality and life of its own that wasn't being dictated by the head coach. And when you lose that, there's a problem. Also, the other stuff that I was reading, he's, like, I know 72 isn't that old, but 72 is old. Mm-hmm. 72, you've been around for a long time, and you're not getting any younger. Even though Pete sounded as sprightly and as energetic as ever in that post-media availability there. He's still not a young man. I just I, I hate saying it like that, but that's what it was blunt as I can say it. Is that at a certain point, everyone has to realize that the change is going to happen eventually. And then I think what happened here was they're like, we may as well just do this now. There were some times throughout the Seahawks season that I wondered if Pete had lost the room, and there were times when DK Metcalf, for example, had a press conference and they asked him about his penalties and they asked him about this board that Pete has where he lists, you know, the top penalty earners and it's it's not a board of honor. <laughs> it's a board of shame. Yeah. And Metcalf was kind of like he's like he basically said like yeah, I don't care about that. And then Jamal Adams um was asked about his comments on social media and we're not going to get into that, but you know, someone asked him like, you know, did you have a how was your chat with Pete about that? And he's like mm, and he kind of smirked about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me like it was like the students that don't respect the teacher. You, you know? asked the question a couple times this year, did you think Pete lost the room? And I, I was like, the fact that you're bringing it up, yeah. and you weren't bringing it up unprompted or unfounded. Like, it was out there. Yeah. A lot of people were talking about it. And that, and, I mean, like, just, is there a younger crew there that just don't buy into what Pete's selling, the rah-rah stuff? I don't yeah. know. Maybe. And there's 100% that part of it. The other big part of this, I think, is that they looked at what this team did offensively, And Shane Waldron, by the way, is interviewing for another offensive coordinator job, so he very well could be done. But this team, as long as Pete has been there, 
I mean, the offense has always been the same sort of thing. It's been a very sort of basic strip down. We're going to run the ball and we're going to play great defense and we're not going to make mistakes. Well, that's, that's what Pete has always wanted but, to do. But that's what he's wanted to do. It hasn't, wanted to it hasn't do. always been that way. Right. But, but it's, it's hard. It's what he wanted to do. Right. Yeah. And it's very hard as a coordinator to go against the wishes of the guy that's essentially your boss. Right. Mm-hmm. And I do think there was a sense of we're never going to get out of this mentality unless we get away from Pete Carroll. That was my impression. But I think it was the defense. Well. But I think it was the defense that cost him his job. See, that's funny that you say that because I look at this year and I think that the offense was as big a disappointment as the mm-hmm. defense with the talent that they had. I mean, just too many games where they were scoring in the teens, points wise, and also had to kind of orchestrate these crazy late yeah. game heroics just to salvage a win. Like the the offense was asleep for three quarters, and then at the end, all of a sudden, the offense happens. wasn't asleep; it was on the sidelines because the defense was still on. I the, mean, that's the a good field, point too, field, right? right? When you're getting gouged with the run. <laughs> <laughs> Your offense doesn't get a chance to get out there and get in a rhythm. So, um, okay, we are up against it for time. We're going to do a lot of Canucks talk today. Rest assured, it's another huge game for the Vancouver Canucks on this seven-game road swing. They are in Pittsburgh tonight. I said earlier it was a 4.30 start. That was my fault. I made a mistake. It's a 4 o'clock start. There's going to be a game day skate at 8.30 this morning. By the way, 9 o'clock this morning, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft are going to address the media in New England. So there's going to be a lot at the back end of this show with regards to uh, news, notes, media availabilities, audio, and what have you. But coming up next, Sean Gentile. Tilly from the Athletic in Pittsburgh is going to join us to talk about this Penguins team that will host the Canucks tonight. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most comprehensive Canucks coverage in the city. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think Kevin Hayes is going to do something like that? It just it pisses me off that, that you guys throw that around and affect someone's life. 6.32 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour one of the program. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, the Canucks will play Pittsburgh tonight. That was audio from Philly, though, coming back from break. One of the, It was a busy, busy day yesterday and overnight in the world of sports. There was a lot of things that went on, including John Tortorella, like mid-presser, stopping his media availability to find out which guy in the room was the one that started the Kevin Hayes rumors as it pertained to the Cutter Goche trade. What was that guy's name? It was a very Philly name. It was like Anthony, Tony Sanfilippo. San yes, Anthony uh, Sanfilippo or Filippo. Yeah. I don't know the pronunciation. It just referred to him as that guy. Mm-hmm. Who's, the, who's the guy? Who's that guy? And then Torts. I thought Torts was going to be like, let's get him. <laughs> he, almost, okay, he almost did because he, he kept kind of – making digs at the guy mm-hmm. and then being and then apologizing to everyone else. He's like, okay, let's move on. And then someone else would start asking a question. And then Torts was like, hold on, hold on. Are you the guy with that stupid podcast? <laughs> and then he'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he'd go back to asking questions. And then he'd be like, no, 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 I'm not done yet. So he really took some shots at him yesterday. Uh, but that was the Philadelphia side of things. The Pittsburgh side of things tonight, 4 o'clock from PPG Paints. It is the Penguins. It is the Vancouver Canucks in town. Joining us now to break it all down, uh, our good buddy from The Athletic in Pittsburgh, Sean Gentilly here 
on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Sean. How are you? Fellas, if you want to talk about that terrible incident of Italian on Italian crime we witnessed last night with Tortorella and San, San Filippo, like we, we can we can go back to it. I'm fine. I'm I'm equipped to discuss it. You are equipped to discuss it. What do you have to say about it? It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think happened between Cutter Goche and the Philadelphia Flyers? Um, I th- I mean I think. I mean, there was some. It seemed like there were some issues, maybe with the with the positional stuff. With like he wants to play center, it's, they clearly view him as as a left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, like sometimes stuff just stuff just goes bad. You know, they like you, like people make decisions, and then you kind of you kind of get locked into them. I don't know. I like I you you read it. Certainly, it certainly seems like Kevin Hayes had nothing to do with it. I'll say that much. Like, yeah. there's been some pretty forceful stuff from. Forceful stuff from the player and for, forceful stuff from from Torts. So I mean, I, I it's probably it's I, that's like the splashy, delicious kind of fake explanation, I suppose. But when when in reality, sometimes that stuff is just a lot more. It's a lot more boring, you know. It's like a build build up of stuff over time. It seems like a big thing too was that he was that he did want to like there was maybe some disagreement over what he should do this year, like whether, whether he was ready to plan it, play in the league or, or go back to BC or whatever. Like it's just kind of an accumulation of things versus one, you know, crazy, crazy deal, like getting, you know, mind controlled by, by, <laughs> by Kevin Hayes. It certainly seems like it wasn't the case. Well, I'm really glad we've got you on the show today because even if the Canucks weren't playing the Penguins tonight, which they are, um, mm-hmm. I have questions about this Penguins team because I can't figure out this Penguins team. So just mm-hmm. their seven-game sample, they've won five of those games, including a big 7 nothing win over the Islanders. In fact, they've beaten the Islanders twice in that span. They've beaten the Boston Bruins. Their last game, they went into Philly and had a good win over the Flyers. And yet, there was a Washington game, and I believe it was at home in Pittsburgh, where the they fell behind 4 nothing and eventually lost 4-3. And they lost at home to Buffalo. What mm-hmm. is going on with this team? Because I feel like I look at their underlying numbers and I'm like, those look pretty good. Uh, I guess the power play is an issue. But why can't this team either figure out if it's good or not? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, like, I, I think the... To me, the Washington and Buffalo games, like, first off, I don't think they're that much better than uh, on, like, I don't think the gap between them and those two teams is all that enormous. It's certainly certainly not Buffalo on, on their best night. They're a lot better than the Caps. But whatever, teams lose games. Like, I, those felt like schedule losses to me. They played a ton of games over the course of the last, like, two weeks or so. And I think I think that was, to some extent, they were – they were gassed. They came off flat against Washington and then, you know, outplayed them pretty severely over, over the last couple of periods and, you know, couldn't, couldn't get a point out of it. So whatever, but like on balance, not just the last 10 games, but really the last 15, they've been, they've been pretty good and they've been good in a way that they hadn't, or they've been, they've been winning games in a way that they hadn't in a while, which is like with a little bit of secondary scoring with some, you know, reliable, reliable uh, goaltending from, from uh, Jari and Nedeljkovic, which is which has been kind of some nice found money for them. So like, 
they fixed some of the stuff that that it was that was going wrong in the early season. It looks like, which again, as ever, was you know crummy secondary scoring and uh, in a in an even worse power play. And now all of a sudden that stuff's clicking, and it's like oh they're you know nine three and one in in their last or whatever it is. Like they've so they've 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 fixed what's gone wrong, and they look a lot more like a legitimately good team now than they did last month. That's for sure. So all in all, the decision to go all in on the old guys, which I guess there were two phases to that, because first of all, they re-signed Malkin and Latang, and then they doubled down on that by bringing in Eric Carlson. Um, mm-hmm. How do you think that's going? Like, are the Penguins, we were talking about this yesterday, we were like, is any are there any elite teams in the East right now? Mostly because the Canucks just rolled through all of them. Um, but you know, how is that decision by the organization and by Dubas to bring in Eric Carlson looking right now? Do the Penguins have Stanley Cup hopes legitimately? Do we lose Sean, or is, I he, hope so. is he just thinking extra hard there? If not, this is a really long dramatic pause. Yeah, I think we've lost Sean. Sean Gentile from The Athletic uh, in Pittsburgh here on the Health and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, it's funny because you're talking about the big picture stuff with the Penguins window and their Stanley Cup contention and everything. So if you look at they they hit a low point in early December where they were one game below NHL 500. They'd just come off a bad loss to Florida. They couldn't score a power play goal to save their lives. They've gone like they've been really good the last thirteen games. They're nine, three, and one. Mm-hmm. But again, I kind of have the same thoughts you do. Like I'm not sure if they're quote unquote back. Sean is though. Sean joins us now. Sean Gentile from the Athletic. Hello, Sean. We lost you there briefly. <laughs> that was bizarre. It was like an old. It was like driving through a tunnel or something. Like, <laughs> old, like call call failed like dropout sound. Uh, yeah. How much of my long question, long rambling question, did you hear there? I think I heard. I think I heard uh, two of the three minutes long that the she took to ask it. Yeah. <laughs> so, how is the decision by the organization and Kyle Dubas to essentially go all in on these old guys looking right now? Are they legit Cup hopefuls in the East? I heard what you said at the start of it. Where they're where like is there an elite team in the in the East? And I think that plays directly into their hands, right? Like, there's not. I mean, they need to jump a bunch of teams in, in the – like, we're still talking about a team, by the way, that's in seven in their division yeah. based, on, based on points percentage. But, like, that could turn that could, that could also flip overnight, right? They win a few more games. They're tied with a bunch of teams with, with 44 points, I believe. And then, like, all of a sudden, after two, three more games with the way they're playing, they could easily be in, in third place. So, like – are they are they worse than the Rangers? Yeah, they're worse than the Rangers. Do I think they're worse than the Hurricanes? Like, yeah, but but you know, Boston, whatever, all the the, the Atlantic teams, even the elite teams, there, like they're they all have issues too. Like this, it's not, and I'm not trying to gas up the Penguins, right? Like that's a flawed team. That's like you guys said, it's built around old guys, I and mean, you never you never want that necessarily, no matter how good the old guys are. But like. The East is weak, and, and a lot of these teams have flaws. So if you want to look at it charitably, you say, like, there's five or six teams at the, at, at the top of it, maybe behind, we'll say, Boston and in, in New York, that all have some sort of major set of warts in, in one way or another. And uh, and I think they're in that group. So if, if they can keep this up and, like, get clear of the, 
you know, of the of the Devils and the Islanders and, and these teams that are kind of in the middle of the Metro. Like, I think I would put them, like, pretty solidly in the second tier of, of Eastern Conference teams. And that's not, and again, that's not like much of a, that's not meant as a compliment to them. I think that's more of a, that's more of a knock on the quality of the teams throughout the rest of the conference. Uh, Jay Gensel. So he leads this team in scoring right now. It's not Sidney Crosby. Jay Gensel is the guy that leads in points. Jay Gensel is also a pending unrestricted free agent. How much talk has there been about the future of Jay Gensel in Pittsburgh? And what do those talks sound like? I know there are a lot of people here who are very nervous uh, in the wake of the Nylander contract as it relates to Jake Gensel, right? Like, I mean, is Jake Gensel as good as William Nylander? No. Is he going to make $11.5 million a year? No. But production-wise, like where he's at at in his career, the fact that this is, you know, his big cash-in opportunity – and from a production standpoint, like he's not he's not far behind a guy like Neilander. So it is it's 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 a it's a complicated situation for them because it brings up questions about their contention window, right? Like how long do you want to go on? Do you if you have to sign Jake Ansel for six years through his thirty five year old season, whenever ostensibly you know Sidney Crosby and Eric Carlson and Evgeny Malkin will be done? Like do you do you want to do that? Like how how long do you go? And also and also they're they're at a weird point. Um, with their cap situation because they, they have a bunch of money tied up next year and then stuff gets simpler after that. So like fitting Gensel in for say years four, five, and six of that deal, if that's what it would come down to, that'd be pretty easy. The issue is going to be next year because there's a bunch of money tied up and in, in, uh, in, in a bunch of different ways. So that's, that's where the challenge is, is going to lie. It's, re- it's, it's really, really fascinating though, because I think what they do with him, you know, will say a lot about how they feel about, the next two or three years of that, of that, of, uh, of, of the franchise's lifespan there for sure. How far out of the playoff picture would the Penguins have to be in order to trade Gensel prior to the deadline? That's a great question. I, I think that was something we would have really needed to hammer down and, and, and think about if they kept, you know, producing like they were at, at the, at the start of December. Like, I feel like, I feel like they were, they weren't quite ready to hit the panic button, but, they were getting there, right? So this mm-hmm. this run that they've got on, I, I think it I think it fixed a lot of stuff. I think it showed that they can do it in a pretty sustainable in a pretty sustainable way. So I don't know. I think they would have to be, let's say, trade deadlines. I don't know. Like if if they're if they're double digit points within a playoff spot at that point, it right. would be hard. It would be hard. It would be hard to see her. It would be hard to see them uh, them them moving the guy. Honestly, how has Eric Carlson been for the Pens? I think he's, I, you know, it's a classic kind of Carlson season. It kind of depends on who you ask. <laughs> I, I think he's been, I think he's been pretty good at five on five. You know, he, he, he generates a lot of stuff himself. Like obviously the, the, the power play was historically bad there for a little bit. A lot of that fell on him and a lot of it fell on, you know, the, the mix with, uh, with, 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 with Crosby and Malkin particularly, but that seems like it's been fixed. So without that huge, you know, glaring kind of, you know, caveat, on his play, I think he's been, I think he's been good. Like it, like the stars, the stars haven't been a problem for them. Like it, there's, there's been issues elsewhere kind of that have popped up throughout the course of the season, but you know, Carlson Malkin to a lesser extent, and certainly Crosby, like those guys have not been, those, those guys are, are part of the, part of the solution. Not, not, not part of the problem. How, how did they split up Carlson and Latang when it comes to the power play? 
Uh, it's been it's kind of been all over the place. Like they they play together a bit, but it's it's Carlson's show though. Like it mm-hmm. it is like that's you know he he's the number he's the number one guy. He's he's out there with Latang at, at certain points, but for the most part, it's been it's been him with a with a first unit, right? So and and that's and that was the that was the plan. That was to be expected. That was always you know always the way it was going to go with those two guys. And Latang Latang was fine with it. He, he said he was cool it. with it. He, yeah. he, he said he was cool with it at the start and he, and he's and he's cool with it still. You know, so it, it's like from they they have, they, don't, they don't they don't mesh as a as a having two guys on on the same unit, but it's also not that's just a hockey thing. It's not like a it's not a chemistry issue. It's not, you know, in any kind of any kind of issue with issue within the locker room. Um, the goaltending situation, how has it been? The Penguins made a fairly big commitment to Tristan Jari at the beginning of the season, not only in the size of his cap pit, but the length of his deal. I think he's been good. Like I, he's, I, this has been some of the more, like one of the more consistent runs of play we've seen from him. Honestly, the issue for him is that Nadelkovich has been really good too. And I think that's causing, you know, people around here, whether it's fans or whoever else to, wonder whether it should be more of a timeshare situation with with Jari and, and, and Adelkovich moving forward. Like I'm of the mindset that, you know, look, we've seen this from Del- from Adelkovich before. He was unbelievable in, in Carolina for first stretch after being in the AHL forever, like good on him. But, you know, I, I like he also had two absolutely miserable years in Detroit after that and whatever. So I, some of the mindset that Jari's still, still the better option, certainly the more talented, you know, physically, of the two. So in a perfect world, he'd be the guy, you know, go moving into the playoffs, but it's a good problem to have because Ndelkovich has been, has been really, really good. You've also seen Sullivan going more to him over the last few weeks, which is, uh, which is, which is kind of fascinating. Uh, one final thing before I let you go, uh, a moment of Sidney Crosby appreciation, but also a question. Um, so mm-hmm. it's a remarkable year that he's had. The guy's on pace for 46 goals and he's in his 20th year. In the NHL, that would be the second highest goal total of his entire career. Um, mm-hmm. He almost seems ageless. He's 36 years old. Uh, it's funny, Josh Ohey's got a piece in the Athletic where he's talking to Jim Rutherford. This is an actual Jim Rutherford quote about Sidney Crosby. <laughs> he's going to make a great Canuck. I just consider it a privilege to have worked with him for so many years. It was the thrill of a lifetime. I think about him all the time. This isn't a doctor's <laughs> quote. That's Jim Rutherford talking about Sidney Crosby. To give you the idea of how highly in regard he holds Sidney Crosby. My question isn't about that, though. It is, could you ever envision Sidney Crosby playing for another NHL franchise? No, I can't. But I'm also I'm also a homer. Like, I, I, I grew up here. Crosby was drafted when I was, when, when I was a freshman in college. Like, I still have that kind of emotional attachment, I think, to that to that part of the that part of the franchise. So no, I, it's, it's, it's impossible to imagine. And it's something honestly that we've heard about really for the last few years. Right. It was like, oh, I wonder what he would look like in Montreal. Cause he grew up as a Canadians fan. Oh, he's a, he's a, he's buddies with McKinnon. Maybe, maybe that pops up down the line. It's like something we always, we always hear at certain points, usually coming from Canada on honestly. And it's, it's, it's something that I've never, never, never put a lot of stock into honestly. I, I was I would I would like years ago five years ago I would have said he was more likely to retire earlier than anybody thought than you know than move on to to another franchise that certainly doesn't seem like it's happening. 
I, that dude's gonna he's gonna win the MVP by the way if if he keeps produce if he keeps producing like this and they and they win and they make the playoffs mark it down people are gonna vote for him he 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 if he doesn't win it he's gonna be he'll, he will absolutely be a finalist with the way with the way stuff's going which is like he's like a sneaky MVP candidate right? it's crazy crazy to think about but given given that it's Sidney Crosby but I think I think he's gonna have I think he's gonna have a chance to win it honestly. Uh, Sean, this was great, man. Good stuff at the end there as well. Thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll do this again soon. Yeah, boys. Talk to you soon. Talk soon. Thanks. See you, That's buddy. Sean Gentilly from The Athletic in Pittsburgh. We, I'm surprised you didn't fire up the rap horns there, laddie. That was a pretty big one. You know what's funny is when you look at the uh, Penguins' individual scoring, you see a bunch of future Hall of Famers, and yet it pales in comparison to what the Canucks are doing. Jake Gensel leads them with a mere 44 points in 39 games. <laughs> He's having a really good year. Sid is barely a point-a-game player, 41 points in 39 games, and Gino's 35 in 39. Right, you know Carlson, he's producing, but certainly not like last season with the San Jose Sharks when he became one of the few defensemen that's ever had a hundred point season. He's got twenty eight points, and Latang has twenty six points. But you know, overall, um, I still really just I just want to see the Penguins tonight. I've watched a bunch of their games, but I want to see them against the Canucks um, because I know I'll watch them a lot closer. Um, the Penguins, I think, got off to just a bit of like a herky jerky start. But there's still a lot of herky-jerkiness within them, even though they seem to be playing better. And, you know, talking to Sean, whose hockey knowledge I trust, it sounds like things are going fine lately for Not, the Penguins, yeah, right? Yeah, like I, like I was saying, when we dropped the call and I was talking about, they really hit the skids in early December. I remember we would come on the air and we'd almost be doing like a daily count of how long has it been since the Penguins have scored a power play goal? <laughs> the power play just, was just killing. I think it went 40 consecutive power plays or something close to that. Without and It wasn't bad luck. I, I watched a few and I was like, these guys have no chemistry. They have no idea. But we should talk about the Canucks power play at some point. Maybe we will with Thomas Trance because yeah. that thing is a problem right now. Yeah. I mean, it definitely hasn't reached the struggles that the Penguins reached, but it's not, hasn't been great. But again, I go back to Pittsburgh and you look at the results lately. And there's a few things that are kind of concurrent. Now, how much have you followed the goalie situation, Laddie? Because the, the Delkovich thing is a big thing. Yeah, he's almost, I want to say, taking over. But he's it's, the not goalie. That, it's not that Jari's been bad. He's no, just I been know. better than Jari. Jari got, he got banged up a little bit. Yeah. But Nedeljkovic is the goalie of record in eight of their last 12. And then I mentioned in their last 14 games, or 13 games, they're 9-3-1. and one. So there's been a correlation between playing Nadelkovich more yeah. and winning more hockey games, but not because Jari's been ineffective. Mm-hmm. It's just Nadelkovich has been really good. Well, That's a very strange savior we, for them. We, we, we don't know can, who we're going to see tonight, right? No idea. Yeah, okay. Nadelkovich can chip in offensively, too. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's a true. little bonus. That's true. He can get him on the board. Okay. Can um, I just say it was funny that I kind of heard Sean so leave his body when you made him imagine Sidney Crosby in a Canucks jersey there for a second? No. He's like, no, no, it's not going to well, happen. No, like, don't wish this upon me. Sidney Crosby, I mean, we... We don't talk here's the first thing. We don't talk about the like quite frankly good and happy and like optimism side of things a lot because in sports talk radio it's a lot easier and there's a lot more ammo when you're looking at either tire fires or thing to criticize or things that aren't going. You're looking for problems to solve. Right. With Sidney Crosby, there's no problem to solve. Like Sidney Crosby is a remarkable, remarkable athlete, not just hockey player, but to I mean, I wanted to take a moment to be like, hey. He's in his his 20th NHL season. (laughs) By every God-given right, he should be on the decline. He's 36 years old. There's guys that came into the league idolizing him. That was who they wanted. Like Connor Bedard growing up probably wanted to be Sidney Crosby and others sharing ice together. 
And Crosby's on pace for one of the greatest offensive campaigns of his career. And as Sean mentioned, well, in terms of in terms of goal scoring, yeah, he's not he's, in terms of points. Well, he'll be up there in terms of points he's a as well. Game player, he's a yeah. forty-one points in 31, 39 games. Like I think when Sean when Sean said the MVP thing, I I don't want to say I rolled my eyes because that'd be rude, but I was like, yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't know. I don't know I don't if, if if Crosby scores fifty and the Penguins finish, I don't know, second or third in their division. There's no reason why he shouldn't get it. Win well, it overall. There, I mean, there, there could be a reason because there could be a bunch of other players that deserve yeah, it more. He'll get some you, votes, you, but I don't think he'll win it. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna I'm win. Sure it. I'm yeah, sure he'll get. I'm sure he'll Like right now, the MVP is gonna be uh, Nathan McKinnon in Colorado or Nikita Kucherov in Tampa Bay. But Kucherov, give, give, give some defensemen some love for once in this. In I'm just this, being in, realistic. Okay, I'm just being realistic that an award that hasn't gone to a defenseman in like three decades. But it just drives me crazy, right? Right. Like, like, like don't don't like shouldn't I don't vote on no, it? No, but shouldn't Quinn Hughes be in the Hart Trophy conversation here? Right. Everyone's yeah. like, whoa, give him the Norris. Well, how about the Hart? Right. Yep. It's just that defensemen haven't won it since Pronger won it way back in the yeah, day. Yeah, because right? people are idiots, right? Right. Like, you know, like how I much mean, how much time is Quinn Hughes on the ice impacting the game? Hey. I'm with you. I know what should happen, but I also know what does happen. Especially, I mean, we used to be members of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. We know how the voting Like goes. McDavid, I think, has got a way better chance of winning the Hart Trophy than Sid. Uh, I think Panarin has a better chance right now of winning the Hart Trophy than Sid. And that's just two forwards. And then, you know, look, he is way—, he is way he, Quinn Hughes has more points than Sid. Yes, I'm aware. Right? Kale yeah. McCarr has more points than... What about Austin Matthews? He got 31 goals in 37 games if you're going to give it to a guy that's a goal scorer, right? Listen, I love Sid. Like, I don't, I don't even like that I'm even, like, veering into Sid slander here, but... First of all, I don't see him as really particularly close to the MVP of the league. And frankly, if you want to talk about, like, he has declined. He has declined. His... his <laughs> He has declined. He is not the player he was in his 20s. He is, though, because he's on pace for 46 goals. Not far off. Declining from one of the greatest players of all time, just 10%, you're still a great player. But he's not the player he was. Neither is Malkin. Neither is Latang. Neither is Carlson. And that's what makes these Penguins teams so fascinating. Can they, can they, can, you know, it's like that uh, old country song, like, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm... I always get confused here. I'm as, Still I'm get as, it done. I, I'm as good once. I'm not as young as I once was old, but I'm no, no, no. I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Right? And can they make it to I, the I don't playoffs? Know if that's right. Yeah, that is. <laughs> then I'm do like, what Donnie you, don't. <laughs> you can stupid Toby Keith. <laughs> Could have made like this George W. Bush here. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're referencing, Bob, but I enjoy seeing you struggle yeah, trying to I remember. I ain't as good <laughs> as nope. I once was. Nobody help him. Fool me Let twice, Bob. Well, you ain't going to fool me again. Uh, Brady Henderson's <laughs> going to join us next. Talk about Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks.